and welcome everybody to the Digital Dose. We are super excited to have you all back again and listening and thank you everybody for so much for the overwhelming feedback that we've received. I'd like to make a shout out to Brian Hill who uh, supported us through our supporters page. It goes a long way. We really appreciate it. The Digital Dose will always be free. That's our, our plan. It's important to get these message out. But if you want to help, really appreciate it. It does cost to keep us online. So um, pop over to our subscription page, which we'll have in the show notes there. And uh, let's get going. So today I'm joined by as normal with Professor Rhonda Wilson. Hi, Oliver. Great to be back in the digital dose. And we have a very special guest here today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I can introduce myself. I'm a Jette Sanson from Denmark. I'm a PhD candidate and a schooler. Um, what's called? Yeah, what yeah. Call it? Well, and, uh, we're absolutely delighted to have uh, Yetta in Australia with us at the moment as a visiting scholar. Yeah. And so uh, we've been we've been talking a lot about uh, mental health and about nursing, uh, but today we're going to be talking about. Uh, digital health in particular. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here and be together with you and discuss a couple of things about digital health. Yeah, so yeah. welcome to Australia. Thank you very much. Fantastic to have you. So today we're going to be looking at uh, the recent document that was put out by the World Health Organization European Region, which is their digital health guide. And we thought there was a few real key components that we'd actually step through and have a quick chat about the recommendations they came up with. So first up on that, uh, they have some really great uh, stats, just a broad sort of a look at what's happening. And uh, first up, they talk about electronic health records. So I know here in Australia, a lot of our services have gone over to digital health records over the last 10 years or so. Um, this is this is evolving. They're looking to, to amalgamate this into single digital patient records. Uh, they have there in the European uh, countries, the 45, that 87% of the countries are using some form of electronic uh, health record. Um, with uh, 82% of countries routinely making prescriptions available to pharmacies and uh, 37 of countries report inefficient funding important barrier to the electronic health record system implementation now personally i can attest to that i think one of the biggest things we've seen is that it's quite expensive to run uh, an electronic health record and it's very different to the traditional paper model and there's a lot of infrastructure that's required to actually keep things up and running um, which is probably much for a, a further conversation about you know some of the the costs of digital health and supplying the way we do and the non-traditional methods um, but I won't harp on that one for too much longer um, what else have we got here we've got uh, digital uh, health literacy yeah, yeah. So digital health literacy, about 52% of countries in Europe where this uh, report originates from uh, have uh, countries have developed policies that address digital health literacy. So only about, um, you know, half of the countries in Europe uh, have some policies that actually address digital health literacy. And what would you, what would you say? That would have to be about a, a bedrock, really, a foundation for um, for digital health uh, to be implemented in countries. Uh, you've got to have policies that support digital health literacy in the first place. It's Which is interesting because in the same report, they have that 91% of countries have at least one government-funded mobile health program, but only sort of 52% of countries actually have the digital health literacy program to 
to go along with that, which meant that there's a significant portion of people that are likely to be disadvantaged if they, they don't have the skills or the capabilities or even the equipment to actually be accessing these things for this, their health. And that's, we know now, this is this is how it's been communicated by, by public health systems. Um, COVID showed that, you know, social media and all those things were enabled the information to, to be spread quite quickly, where in the past we, we weren't able to actually access that. So we've seen this acceleration, but do we actually have the competency, the literacy, the capabilities in... in um, mm. And it, it is quite interesting because this demonstrates that, you know, country, there is a big commitment towards digital health. There's a financial commitment towards digital health um, with that 91% of countries uh, investing in mobile health programs. Uh, but it does also demonstrate um, perhaps, you know, the commitment hasn't kept pace in terms of, of digital literacy. And if that education and, and information isn't supported by governments in equal measure, then I just wonder whether one of the risks that will need to be managed is that the, uh, the privileged uh, proportion of the population will benefit more and a priority or vulnerable uh, proportions of the population uh, may um, not benefit as much. And of course, in health, we see vulnerable populations much more affected by poorer health outcomes. So getting that balance right for access to digital health is really, really critical. Yeah. But what do we actually know what what is what they need to get access uh, to uh, digital health media? Uh, do we include them in our research or in our development of uh, you know the world uh, in the digital health world? No, no, I think that's a really great point. When we do our research, are we just researching the the wealthier people, the people that are already in those yeah, brackets, include the users. That's right. Not users because they hadn't, they did not have access. Yeah, if users don't have access and yeah. the digital literacy to access, yeah. then they may well be omitted from uh, important research going forward and won't be included in the evidence pool. So uh, there is a real risk that disadvantage will be perpetuated uh, if we're not mindful of supporting digital health literacy. So it's uh, this report's really, really interesting. What else is in this report, Oliver? So the first recommendation they make is about establishing effective governance. And this is looking at uh, national bodies and agencies creating intersectional national policy and strategies. To go quickly over this point, I think it's really key that um, as these governance bodies are established and documentations are written, that we have a much shorter life cycle than what we used to have. We, we have, uh, you know, two and three year turnovers, not four years or eight years. Um, strategy should be long. We should be looking at the longitudinal, but technologies are changing and the needs are changing and access is changing. So I think that we need to be looking at cycles that offer better opportunities to review so that more people, more clinicians, more researchers have access to the most current um, thinking around those particular strategies. Yeah, because we're really moving through very rapid cycles at the moment with uh, digital innovation. And so the governance and the policies need to keep pace with that. So, um, you know, that certainly uh, needs to be a factor when when uh, we're thinking about financing 
um, resources that that policies need to be able to occur and be reviewed in faster increments. And I think the other point about these recommendation one is uh, the intersectorial nature of them. Uh, we have to work and collaborate uh, smarter across um, uh, organisations, across um, agencies uh, at a national level and at an international level because um, digital health resources are increasingly available uh, going across traditional geographical bounds. Uh, we have a whole cyber geography now. And uh, and so, you know, we need to be mindful of how, how to manage that in our public access agencies and how we work with our commercial sector as well. But the, the second one here is, I think this is a really interesting recommendation and, and certainly one where I know we're thinking as researchers a lot about all the time, developing robust evaluation guidelines and increasing digital health literacy. And as as we said a little bit earlier, that digital literacy is, is really a bedrock um, if people don't understand how to use the digital health interventions and resources uh, that researchers uh, are able to, to produce, uh, if they can't access them uh, or if they are disadvantaged in not being able to access them, then uh, you know all of the innovation that we come up with uh, has very limited benefit. So increasing digital and health literacy among both healthcare professionals professionals and the general public uh, is really, really core uh, to national health objectives. We, we've got to get our head around digital health literacy. Yetta, what do you think yeah, about digital right. health literacy from a Danish perspective, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think it's very important, but I also think we need to uh, collaborate about, you know, development, the best uh, technology and use uh, for example, your knowledge about AI in 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 worldwide and in in Denmark, because if we use each other in a better way, we can uh, development in a faster way. Uh, as an example, how do we use it in educational level? I work with education and 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 learning, but how do we use it in in our educational uh, level? And uh, how do uh, the teachers uh, support the students in the best way? Sometimes the students are in a best, better mood than uh, the teachers. So how do we co- actually collaborate about this? And how uh, is the strategy to, you know, if if students can use it? Um, then they better understand and can be innovative in in development digital health solutions to you you know the public and the patient who needs care in a digital way. So the the experience and the expertise of digital natives, really yeah. our students, yeah. uh, is is really important um, knowledge yeah. to bring forward and to draw forward to perhaps some healthcare yeah. professionals who haven't. Uh, grown up with so much digital yeah. technology, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that digital literacy, um, our students are often very much more digitally literate, whereas our teachers and our senior health professionals sometimes are less comfortable in that that space. And the third one, the third recommendation that the World Health Organization European region have come up with is around ensuring sustainable financing and collaboration, uh, which is 
paramount. And again, strengthening those collaborations between the public and private sectors. And I think this is really, really interesting. And I've noted that Denmark has, has um, you know, certainly got some some leadership with that innovation space. Um, but working between public and private, and how important the uh, small to medium enterprises are in developing some of that early innovation, and uh, you know those emerging ideas, the imagining of what might be possible, and then how do we work to test and to scale up and actually deliver uh, universal um, digital health coverage in that context. So it does take a bit of funding yeah. to, to be committed to that. But the flip side of that also is we don't actually want things being simply for profit where the profit becomes above the health outcome. And we've, we've had recent discussions with people along those lines, which is, you know, I can do this thing and I can do it very quickly and, you know, it makes good business sense, but does it sit ethically in the right spot that it needs to actually be delivering that particular thing for that person in that instance. So so there's a lot of pull and push uh, as we move forward in this space and, and financing at both ends of that spectrum, both from the private sector, but also uh, ensuring that universal uh, public access is, is just really critical. What's the fourth one that... Um, this is address interoperability. Oh, I made you say that terrible, <laughs> tricky word to say. <laughs> and standardised health data. The key points they've brought up here is about establishing the, the quality management system for interoperability testing and devising suitable testing tools and certification procedures. We know there's a lot happening in these spaces, so trying to get some consistency that, you know, in a marketplace you really can compare apples and apples when we're talking about the particular products or how they work or even now when we talk about different AI products, it's very easy to get caught up in the hype versus what is that actual tool capable of and is it actually comparable to tool B, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, they also highlight the uh, importance of a national health data strategy for the use of big data and advanced analytics, um, emphasizing that the standardization of data formats and development of data standards to resolve interoperability issues. Now, I think this will be an ongoing challenge. Um, even when data is stored in the same way, uh, it doesn't actually mean that the way areas do business is the same. So the lens that the data has to be viewed through has to be understood. And I think that's where um, we really need that quality level of input from clinical staff and clinical professionals um, in understanding how to address the actual data that's being looked at and that blanket assumptions aren't being made because the data was set out in a particular way, therefore it must be this. So it's the importance of understanding the complexities um, of the business itself that generates the data. I could go on for days on that. You could, you could indeed, and we probably will as uh, in plenty of other pods, podcasts that follow. But I think one of the key things in, in this addressing this interoperability is ensuring that we've got data standards. And so, that, you know, we do need to have some standardization so that we can assess, um, you know, the success or the failure uh, and uh, various uh, 
um, strategies that we trial. So, um, yeah, standardising health data is, is going to be really, really important as well. And the last recommendation they've got for um, for at least the European region, and I hope we've got um, other regions in the World Health Organization having a look at this too. We'd be very interested to to contribute to anything from an Oceania perspective, uh, because um, you know we the last. Uh, recommendation they have is promoting patient-centred care and digital inclusion. And uh, that digital inclusion, uh, we've already alluded to that quite a few times, I think, in, in this podcast. You know, who misses out? We need to have policies and strategies that uh, enable uh, everybody to to be able to, you know, nobody misses out. That's going to be absolutely critical. So developing capacity building and digital inclusion strategies to ensure universal access to digital technologies. And I know I do, you know, I do a, quite a bit of research at the moment with colleagues uh, at the University of Canberra and um, – and some of the things that we're looking at specifically is around um, the digital disadvantages that that some really priority populations or vulnerable populations experience, uh, and some of the things that um, that we're seeing in in our research at the moment is you know we we're noticing that some priority populations uh, certainly have um, you know if they have housing insecurity for example or larger numbers of people living in a dwelling uh, then um, you know there's a lot more uh, uh, people needing to access the internet in that particular dwelling uh, and with larger families uh, often there is you know more financial constraint in terms of how many people have a digital device and how many devices need to be shared so if you've got to share your hardware device whether it's a computer or a smartphone and you need to discuss your your you know um, private health information on that device then uh, the privacy implications are, are rather challenging or uh, being able to access um, you know the time and the space in some privacy to deal with some often very private matters yeah and I think we've um, we've discussed this previous in the past but you know take a thought experiment for a moment and unlock your phone and hand it to somebody the the feeling you get of that um, intrusiveness or vulnerability that actually comes with that simple um, act um, is quite scary so for someone who's trying to actually deal with their um, health issues and problems that they may not be willing to disclose or that level with their family it's it's a huge level and as we push towards digital being the way in which to interact and there's it is a great way to interact. This is going to become more and more of an issue. A critical issue to make sure that we uh, get the digital inclusion uh, right in yeah. terms of promoting patient-centred care. But I yeah. guess it goes yeah. across to education as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But um, I just had some thought about what you're talking about because there's a lot of ethic. Uh, you know, uh, we live in a democratic um, world 
uh, most of the country. I know not everyone, but there are some ethical issues about how do we um, support people, how do we communicate, how do we share data. Uh, not because we don't have to do it, but we need to discuss how do we do it in the best way to you know exactly where patient-centered care because we need to uh, discuss this issue question about how do we use it in in uh, educational we use it we have some uh, lessons about innovation and we collaborate together with uh, healthcare system the private system uh, to uh, development digital solutions to different people it could be uh, in in mental health sector, it could be in the somatic sector, it could be home care, um, you know, the social system or the healthcare system is very specialized today. So some uh, families maybe live in, otherwise Denmark is a very small country. But if you had to drive three or four hours to get to the hospital to get support to your child, maybe it's a better way and and will increase the everyday life and the lives quality if they can talk to the doctor uh, or the nurse uh, or other healthcare professionals in in a digital way. So it's it's very good uh, to discuss these uh, issues. Yeah, yeah, and that would be very meaningful for in terms yeah. of, of patient-centered care. Yeah. Well, this has been a really, really interesting discussion today on the Digital Dose podcast. It's been an absolute delight to have Jette Sørensen from Denmark join us today as well on our very international Digital <laughs> Dose. And uh, I guess we'll sign off today. I'm Rhonda Wilson and... And I hope you'll join us on our next podcast. We're looking forward to to seeing you again. 